This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. Hello, this is Peter Bowes. I hope you're doing okay. COVID-19 is still with us and will be for a long time, but I hope you're healthy and thriving and that the positive signs we're seeing of fewer new cases in many places around the world is at least good news as we move into the summer. And I know that doesn't apply to everywhere. We must all continue to be vigilant. Well, for the past few episodes, we've focused on the virus. Today, I want to bring you an interview that I recorded before the pandemic hit us all hard. It was February the 27th earlier this year when the world looked like a very different place. And it's a conversation that really encapsulates what it means to have a great health span to live long and stay healthy. Now, over the past few weeks in the UK, many of us have got to know Captain Tom Moore, who now at the age of 100 has been raising money for the National Health Service by walking lengths of his garden. And as I record this, he's raised over £30 million, about $40 million. It's a phenomenal achievement and he is an amazing character. And that's what today's podcast is about. Not Captain Moore's story, but those amazing people in the world who've achieved extraordinary longevity. I hope you enjoy it. People don't realise that a simple change of a word or phrase can increase your longevity. People will say, I'm tired because I'm old. No, you're not. You were tired when you were 40. Cut that out. Or, you know, oh, well, it's just this way because I'm old. That's baloney. Hello and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Well, today we're going to definitely focus on the stories, stories of amazing people. In fact, how often have you used that word to describe an older person who's living an extraordinary life? Isn't she or he amazing? Well, since 2016, Dr. Noel Nelson, who's a psychologist and a writer, has been posting stories on Facebook about older people that she describes as amazings. It's a wonderful collection of people whose lives are nothing short of inspiring. Dr. Nelson, welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Thank you, Peter. It's a joy to be podcasting with you. What inspired you to do this? Well, I had written a book called Happy, Healthy, Dead, which sounds terrible, but the idea behind it is that we can aspire and do all sorts of wonderful things in order to be happy, healthy, and then out of here, as opposed to happy, healthy, less healthy, less healthy, less healthy, which is just not a fun prospect. Well, I was, I've read the book and I was going to ask you about the title and especially the use of the word dead, because it does make <laughs> you stop and think, mm, what's she getting up there? <laughs> well, just that. And the um, inspiration for the Amazings was as I was writing this book, I was, of course, doing research and I kept coming across individuals in their 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s who were doing the most amazing things, swimming the English Channel, running marathons, tap dancing, writing physics experiments. I mean, it was just amazing to me. And therefore, I thought, well, heck, if this fascinates me, chances are there are other people who would enjoy it. Uh, So the Facebook page is, frankly, first of all, for my inspiration, because it keeps me 
optimistic, happy, and forward-looking, and I get really wonderful response. I have uh, over 5,000 followers. And, you know, I'm like, how marvelous is that, that people are intrigued by older people who are amazing. And just before we leave it, the title of your book, Happy Healthy Dead, Mm -hmm. reminded me of what scientists often talk about, compressed morbidity, being the term used to describe living a a long, healthy life, but then a very short period of time where you essentially approach death and where you're perhaps not 100% healthy, but that time is compressed to be as short as possible. That essentially is the kind of lifestyle that you're talking about. You're absolutely correct, Peter, and it's a beautiful way of putting it. Because, you know, we all have an exit. We're not going to stay here forever. And we're fully aware of that. But science has shown that we can do an awful lot in order to make that compressed, really, truly short and not horrible. So you post these uh, wonderful stories of people living these extraordinary lives. Mm-hmm. Where do you, uh, and a lot of them are quite famous people, some are not famous at all. Where do you find them? Well, if I may, I would say that only about 2% are famous. Ah, so maybe those are the names that leapt out at me when I Probably, the Christopher Plummers the and exactly. the, yes. Um, but I, I deliberately try to avoid the Betty Whites and the Dick Van Dykes only because people already know about them. And they assume that these people are happy, healthy, long livers because they are celebrities, they have wealth, they have means, they have resources, and so forth. So my focus is as much as humanly possible on what I call ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I find them on the web for the most part. Sometimes by now people also will suggest to me various people that they know. But these are people who, for one reason or another, have have their 15 minutes of fame, if you will. So it's things like a 90-year-old who's getting her high school diploma that she wanted ever since she was a, a girl, but couldn't for reasons of family finances and so forth, had to leave school, work, raise a family, all that. And finally, at 87, 88, goes for it, and by 90, gets her high school diploma. Well, that gets her... And I don't mean to put this rudely, but her 15 minutes of fame, meaning that somebody's posted that somewhere. I find it. And I find it by actually looking for 80-year-old carpenter, <laughs> 90-year-old tennis player. That's my, my, my Google search method. And you would be surprised at what I find along the way. People truly are amazing. So I'm curious and fascinated by this because on this podcast, we've spoken to a a number of people who would come right into your category of being amazing. The uh, 102-year-old, the 70-year-old doctor who is still practicing and and running marathons, all these kinds of things. And what really interests me is trying to join the dots to some extent in terms of their lifestyles and what they're doing, the common traits that you can, sometimes the individuals don't realize, but if you talk to enough people, you they leap out at you and you see, oh, well, that's why you got to a great age. Do you notice the same oh, thing? Oh, absolutely, Peter. And since, um, because I post these twice a week and have been doing that since 16, I have literally hundreds of amazings that have, if you will, one way or another, publish what their lifestyle is without, as you say, realizing it. What I've noticed, there are four things that these individuals have in common. Again, without their realizing. The first is positivity or optimism. And optimism, science has shown, is a major predictor of happy, healthy longevity. And the second is they have a passion. 
It doesn't matter if it's for growing tomatoes or looking at the stars or running marathons or with me, ballroom dancing. It doesn't matter what it is. They have a passion. Thirdly, they have a purpose. So, for example, the growing of tomatoes is because the lady likes to give them to the collective farm that feeds people who can't get to tomatoes. Or the physics person who is still intrigued, wanting to share with students, with whomever, their take on physics. With me, it's the sheer joy of competing. What can I tell you? And fifthly, physicality. There are, I have interviewed some amazings or found some amazings who are wheelchair bound and so forth. But I would say that almost without exception, all the others are in some way physical, meaning they either walk or swim or run or dance, do something that is physical. And even the ones who are wheelchair bound tend to have some interest in physicality, meaning they want to move themselves around, etc. Physicality exercise has been shown by tons of research to improve not just body, so immune system, cardiovascular, and so forth, but brain function, which is where it all starts. And a lot of those factors that you list, they all, to me, have the the common theme of something to live for. Totally. There's always something tomorrow, maybe planning something for, for next month, whether it's a, a hobby or a passion, as you say, whether it's a family gathering or whether it's a, a plan to have a lunch with a friend and, and discuss a, a book that you've both read, something like that. There's yep. always that looking forward aspect yes. to their lives. I think of it as pulling life through you. In other words, the day that you stop being interested in what tomorrow brings is probably the day that you wither if you will, which is what they found in studies about people who retire, is that if someone who is looking to retirement hasn't planned to some extent what the next few years are going to look like, are there friends to lunch with? Is there a book club? Are there tomatoes to grow? Is there a family to seek? Etc. If they haven't done that, they tend to die fairly quickly, which is sad. And I'm curious, and I often ask this question, in terms of your research, what you've learned about other people, do you then think, ah, I'm going to try to apply that to my life to pursue a longer, healthier life or a a great health span? Something that perhaps you're not doing now, but you, you see this theme reoccurring. It certainly happened to me. The thing that strikes me most is being with other people is with being with younger people as you're getting older and carving that wonderful sort of social life for yourself that could be so beneficial. There really isn't anything that I changed in what I do because I already did all that. But what I noticed was how important community is, which is what you're talking about, connection, social connection. And I had not thought about it, uh, frankly, until the fire hit. And then I realized just how important community was to my personal well-being, and frankly, that would have been whether I was 40, 60, or 70. Now, you mentioned the fire there. We mm. both live in Southern California. <laughs> We've both been affected in yes. our, our lives in, in recent years by wildfires. What was your experience? Um, the Woolsey Fire, which was in uh, November of 2018, uh, destroyed my home, period. I mean, just to ashes, nothing at all. And fortunately, I I'm fine. And my two dogs, which were my only living relatives at the time, uh, are fine. Uh, But that's it. Everything went. 71 years of life, as far as mementos, books, treasures, pictures, you name it, gone. Um, And how do you, in the immediate aftermath, how do you deal with that? Friends. And the communities I had established, which I have come to call anchors, which is that even though 
there were plenty of days I didn't want to get out of bed. I had two dogs that had to be fed, watered, and walked. So I got up for them. I had um, my church that I belong to, and I'm a member of the choir, and they expected me to attend and sing. So I came and I sang, even if I was probably more warbling than singing. Um, I'm a competitive ballroom dancer. I had training sessions. No, I, the last thing I wanted to do was go and dance, but I went. And I think of these, since I have no, uh, no children and, and that kind of close family, my friends, my church, ballroom, ballet also, where I have a small community, these were the anchors that tied me to life. And they were absolutely fabulous. And you write in your book about the power of appreciation. Oh, yes. I guess that in part is what you're talking about now. Oh, yes. Um, appreciation is the, is the first thing that I started recognizing and writing about because gratitude has to do with saying thank you for something that's already happened. But appreciation is a little bit different. It's valuing before anything good has happened. And appreciation is, by the way, something common to amazing people. Appreciation is saying, gosh, this is great. Whatever it is, this is good. This feels nice. Just whatever. The table we're sitting at, this conversation with you, the plant in front of me, doesn't matter what it is. I can appreciate it. It doesn't have to do anything. It could just, the plant just sits there. But I do. That's what plants do. Yes, they do. Yes. And yet I appreciate it. So yes, appreciation I have found is also a something that separates, if you will, the, the wheat from the chaff and it shows the people who are going to do well in anything. I once read that, and I don't know whether this is true, no reason to disbelieve it, that if you sign an email, thanks in advance, you're more likely to get a response. Interesting. I did not know that one. Regards, sincerely. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, bye for now, whatever. Yes. Yeah, thanks in advance. Sure. Statistically, is right. more likely to produce a quick response. Interesting. Which is kind of yes. coming to what you're talking about. It's it saying is. thank you when you've asked for something in the email right. in advance of, right. of actually getting it right. and showing that appreciation. Right. And generally speaking, the words please and thank you are far more valuable than people realize. Especially thank you for pretty much anything. Valuable not only for you, the person uttering those words, but for the other person as well. And that, that is building that, even if it's just two of you, it's building Correct. that sense of togetherness and, and community. Yes. You know where I have more fun than just about anywhere outside of a ballroom is in airports. Because of my work, I'm in airports a lot. And you have fun in airports. Yes, because I meet the most extraordinary people, all ages, all everythings. And what else do I have to do while I'm sitting there? Because I have to sit there for, uh, you know, 45 minutes an hour, whatever it is, before my plane is ready to take off. And I notice toddlers who move faster than the speed of light. And I think that's just the coolest thing ever. And then I notice parents who are scrambling to keep up. And I think that's just the coolest thing ever. I have conversations with people I would never have conversations with because we just don't cross paths. I remember this one young man, maybe 19, and he had his hairnet on and he was serving something or other at a, a little side food thing court in the, the airport. And he was playing on his iPhone, I guess, but I could hear it. So, uh, Sinatra. And I went, you're playing Sinatra. I'm sorry. That's my generation. And he went, yeah, he's got some kind of cool beats. <laughs> and I had this most wonderful two-minute conversation with a kid I never would have encountered otherwise, but I must say I do open my mouth. I'm very, very happy to say, oh, gee, what a lovely color, or, or oh, my, you look like you're having a good time. Because why not? I have discovered 
that 99.9% of the people on the planet are just wonderful. I'm sure there's 0.1% that are, and I'm sure I've met them once in a while, but it's rare. Most of us are just doing the best we can with what we've got from where we are. Talking of airports, or at least traveling and, and getting onto a plane, you, you tell a, an interesting story, a little anecdote in your book about the guy that you were much younger, who you were <laughs> sitting next to on a plane. And that conversation wasn't necessarily positive, was it? No, it wasn't. It was funny. But what he didn't know is that he, he triggered the book that has brought me quite a bit of attention. So what happened? Will. Um, so I'm on an airplane and, uh, I was, I think 60 something or other at the time. And this young man, maybe 20, had his earbuds in and he was texting away. And the flight attendant had said, you know, please put yourself in airplane mode. And he wasn't. And he, and she says it again and he wasn't. And I'm starting to get a little nervous. Meanwhile, the air, airplane starts to taxi down the runway. And so I turned to the young man and I said, uh, excuse me, but you need to put your phone in airplane mode. Your cell frequencies could interfere with the pilot's radio frequencies. And he says to me, what do you know? You're old. I said, if you're lucky, <laughs> if you're very, very lucky, you'll get to be old like me. But what that started was for me, I thought, oh, wait a minute. Now I'm not decrepit. I don't get it. What, what, and besides what does old have to do with ignorance? I'm not just because I have passed, you know, the 20 year old thing doesn't mean that I don't know about technology, at least some, right? So I started my research and a year later, here came the book. And did you have a continuing conversation with that guy? Or was oh, that no. it? it? I don't think there. he would have been remotely interested. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about appreciating other people. Yes. A big factor is appreciating yourself as well. Truly, truly, truly. Yes. And it's interesting you should mention that, Peter, because that's where a lot of people fall down. They're perfectly willing to say so-and-so is fabulous over there, but they don't see their own fabulousness. Now, that doesn't mean we have to walk around with our noses in the air and think we're better than other people. It's not about that. But it's recognizing, gee, I'm okay. I'm, I'm pretty good at X, Y, or Z. And I'm, I'm a good mom or dad or whatever it is. And, and, you know, I take pride in my work. Well, we can do all that without an overinflated ego. And valuing self makes it actually much more genuine to value another. So having a, a realistic self-esteem yes, is important. That is a very good way of putting it. Without being overly blown, without right. showing off, which then no. begins to go into negative territory. Yes, it does. And there's no need for it. Self-respect is one thing. Bragging is a different thing. Bragging only serves to show the lack of self-respect that a person has for themselves. This is me with my psychologist hat on. <laughs> exactly. Now, on this podcast, we talk about science as, as well as human stories. And I talk a lot about the, the interventions, the way that we can make small changes to our lifestyle with the goal of, of living longer and, and better. And we're not talking about living excessively long, just a good health span. In other words, the number of years that we enjoy optimum health. And I'm always curious with people I chat to, whether that is something that you think about in terms of long-term health, perhaps goals for yourself as you as you get older, or is it something that just goes over your head and you don't particularly think about every day how you personally are going to age and, and whether there are any interventions that you're applying to yourself that you might have heard about to try to pursue that long, healthy span? How long do we have? <laughs> 
In other so the words, answer is yes. The answer is this does not go over my head at all. I am constantly tweaking, adjusting, delving into more research because just the fact that I'm finding these amazings, they share what they're doing. And I go, ooh, I could do some of that. Or am I doing some of that? And wow, the fact that I'm doing that means this. So to me, it's a, it's a wonderful, I think of myself as a guinea pig. I'm my own best guinea pig. So I try stuff. Like lately, I've been trying apple cider vinegar. I've heard about that. Yep. And you know what? It seems to be improving my sleep. So I think, oh, yay. So my short answer to your question is, I do not let any of that 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 I come across pass me by. Well, let's make it, I think this is interesting, let's make it a slightly longer answer then <laughs> and talk about some of the other interventions. Just dwell on, on vinegar for a moment. What What is your protocol with it? What do you do? Is it just in the evening? Or? Actually, um, I take two, I, I don't care for the taste of vinegar, unlike my sister who could probably drink the stuff just from the bottle. So I get the capsules and I take two in the morning and two in the evening before bed. And what I found is that I'm, I have more energy through the day and I sleep better. So I find those fascinating, almost contradictory things. But the research shows that it has like a balancing effect on the pH within the body. And that seems to be what's working. So I play with the, I literally guinea pig myself. I play with these things. For example, MSM. I started having problems with my knees. Of course, I dance. I've danced forever. And um, your joints feel it eventually. Somewhere around my beginning 60s, my knees were really bothering me. And I thought, ah, I can't, I can't deal with this. I, mean, no, I don't want new knees. I, I just. And someone told me about MSM. And so I started taking it. And I played around with dosages. I just played around and played around. And now what I do is sometimes I decrease the dosage just to see what will happen. And guess what? It didn't work. So I, I re-up it. But I'm I'm constantly messing with, if you will, the supplements I take, what I eat, the way I exercise, because and the way I meditate and my spirituality. Because to me, we are holistic beings. And I don't know, I'll mess with this part of it and see how that works and then adjust something. But yeah, it's actually fun to do that. And you mentioned sleep. How important is a good, um, it might seem obvious, but how important to you is a good night's sleep? Very. And how do you suffer when you don't get that good night's sleep? I'm cranky. I'm somewhat lethargic, but I would say cranky because I don't usually ever not sleep for more than one night. And by not sleep, I mean have too many wakings up in the night. Uh, I also take a daily nap. I have found that a 30-minute nap somewhere in the middle of the day does wonders for me. So I can I will stubbornly do that. That's interesting because I, I don't do that. I can't nap because it, it affects my sleep at nighttime. I, I want yeah. to be very, very tired yeah. by the time I go to bed. But sleep to me is, if I had to list one, two, three, four, five of those mm -hmm. important lifestyle traits, I would put sleep at number one because you can't eat a great diet and be conscious of what you're eating if you're very tired, because you're going to cut corners, you're going to have more ice cream and sugar mm -hmm. than you really ought to have, because the tiredness just kind of engulfs your day. Likewise, exercise, mm -hmm. you're not going to exercise as much or as well, mm -hmm. if you're starting as tired. So sleep and I know it is so important. And, and as a nation, as a world, so many people are sleep deprived. And, and everyone, of course, is, is looking for a solution. I think the solutions are individual. I think there are certain parameters that are well-established, you know, have a dark room, a room that's 
specifically where you sleep and not where you have your television and so forth. Don't look at the news five minutes before you want to go to sleep. Those sorts of things, which are all kind of common sense. But for the rest of it, I think it's individual. And I think we, we do best when we operate as our own guinea pigs. I have found that glycine, which is a protein uh, component, is very helpful to relax. Uh, there are homeopathic solutions, which I used off and on, depending. A cider vinegar seems to have the effect of I only get up once in the night to pee. That's it. But everybody's different. So I think it's it's a question of, again, playing around a bit with what are your parameters. But I must disagree with you on one thing, if I may. Please do. All right? I like that. Which is, I have learned that for myself, routine is extremely important. Whether I slept or not, I work out every single morning, except Sundays. Whether I have slept properly or not, I do not, I don't do sugar. I can't do sugar. My blood pressure spikes. So I just don't. But these are ingrained, decided, very conscious habits that work for me. Now that's for me. I would encourage people, find out what works for you. Do that. Exactly. Yes. And this is probably a good point to say, and I often say this, that if you are having problems with sleep or any other aspect of your life, the first thing you should do is speak to a doctor and, and not listen to the kind of things that we're talking about, because we are all individual and a professional, a health profession is the person to speak to first. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speak with your physician first. You never know what underlying something or other is going on. Once your physician has declared that, nope, you're basically sound and healthy, then you can try playing around with stuff. But yes, I agree with you 100%, Peter. To what extent are you an optimist? Oh, me? <laughs> Let's put it this way. I started life as a very unhappy person through my whole childhood and high school and all that time. And slowly over time, I came to realize that that was not the way. And I found my way into books and mentors and study and everything that literally taught me the value of optimism. And I remember for years, I repeated the affirmation, I am a strong and worthy person. I must have said that a hundred times a day for years until it finally caught on. And slowly I became what is now a dyed-in-the-wool optimist. You can work on it and you can change. Of course you can. That's the thing, for example, with longevity is that people don't realize that a simple change of, of a word or phrase can increase your longevity. People will say, oh, I'm tired because I'm old. No, you're not. You were tired when you were 40. Cut that out. Or, you know, oh, well, it's just this way because I'm old. That's baloney. That's things we tell ourselves. And that one's so easy. Talk about mindfulness. If you simply catch yourself with what are you saying to yourself about your age? Like, okay, I'm 72. I'm competing in ballroom. That's nuts. That's absolutely nuts. I know it. I don't care because I feel 40. So what do I care? You just preempted my next question. You are, as you said, 72 years old. Mm -hmm. And just before we started recording, you were telling me about your busy lifestyle. Just give, paint a picture for me of what you actually do <laughs> in a month. In a month? Well, um, my profession, I'm a trial consultant. I work with attorneys in civil litigation uh, all over the United States. Um, the last month I worked in <sighs> Texas, Oklahoma, uh, and um, Goleta, which is right up the street. Uh, let's see. So I do that. Um, of course, I post my amazings, which 
takes a fair amount of work in terms of the research. And just the, to go back, the, the trial work involves essentially appearing as a witness. No, never. Oh. I do not do that. Uh, thank you for allowing me to clarify. No, I'm what you might think of as pre-production. In other words, I'm given cases of documents, boxes of documents, and I look for case themes. I look for what makes this case jury worthy, because I'm always dealing with cases that are going to jury. Um, then I run something called focus groups, which are a way of having a trial before the trial. Uh, for that, I have staff, which uh, recruits appropriate people to participate, and I do all the the research and the report and conduct the actual focus group and so forth. I prepare witnesses for deposition and trial, which means helping people to be their most credible together selves because trial is very frightening for most people and they either freak or basically freak, faint, flee, or get angry. And I, ha I help them through that process so that they can testify credibly. Um, I write for dire questions. I mean, the list is kind of lengthy, but I do a lot of work as a trial consultant all over the States. Yeah, it keeps um, you extremely busy. And alongside that, along, you're doing and then the my amazing hobby work, is, which is right. purely a hobby. <laughs> my hobby is uh, ballroom and ballet. So I compete. I'm competing this Sunday. Then I'm competing again in New Orleans in a world competition in two weeks. I write books. I'm on, I think, book 14 by now. And I put all this down to the fact that I have no children. <laughs> But I do. I enjoy, and I'm in choir at church, so that's in an average month. That's probably that's, the basics. That's probably enough to be going along <laughs> with. That, that, is a, that is a busy life. And, and do you have something on the horizon, something perhaps that you haven't had time to do just yet that you really want to achieve? I want to go to Tokyo for the world championships in, in ballroom in September. And of course, we may not get there because of the coronavirus. Yeah, that's a worry. But no, it? I don't have any... Um, I don't have a bucket list, if you will. I never have had a bucket list. I do what thrills me. And if that changed tomorrow and became growing tomatoes instead of ballroom, I'd grow tomatoes. I don't have any judgment on any of it. It's just what thrills me, which I think is part of why I was able to recover from the fire, because I'm in such a different environment. And yet I find here things that thrill me. And I think you are modestly living the life essentially of a lot of the amazings whose lives you talk about thank you thank you very much indeed thank you peter and just uh, remind people if they want to look at the amazings this is a facebook page that you have it's called meet the amazings meet the amazing very simple very very simple i will put the details on our website or in the show notes for this particular episode and you'll find us at llamapodcast.com that's double l-a-m-a podcast.com llama being live long and master aging and while you're at the website please take a look through our index of past episodes we've got a few amazings of our own uh, there are more than a hundred interviews there and if you like what you hear you can rate and review us at apple podcasts it's always good to hear what you think of what we've been doing many thanks for listening FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rud. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. 
Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.